Credence by Armando Heredia Narrated by Spencer Pendergrass Part 1. The Unraveling Chapter 1. Ghost Shadow Stealthy. That's what he was. A creeping, stealthy, invisible shadow of a ghost against the gray background of a frozen wasteland. The arrow was notched. The string on his bow was as taut as he could make it, pulling back with all of his strength. In spite of the overcast cold winter evening, sweat trickled down his forehead, stinging his eyes. He crept quietly. A bird flitted its wings in a nearby pine tree. Its vibrant green needles, a testament to the veracity of life and nature. The shadows were long on the ground. His teeth chattered and his fingers ached from the temperature and the strain. He held his breath, took careful aim, and... Credence Clearwater Revival, what the heck are you doing? Ruined. That's what it was. An obnoxious, loud explosion of Big Brother nosiness. The little brown bird hopped to a higher branch of the neighbor's tree, startled, but not completely frightened away. What the heck does it look like I'm doing, Santana? I'm hunting. You know, it took me two hours to get close to that bird. Two hours, Santana. Creed, his brother responded with an eye roll in his typical exasperated tone. You've been outside for fifteen minutes. And besides, you're supposed to be shooting the targets that Dad got you, not birds. Targets are boring. If I'm going to live off the land, I need to kill animals for meat, lamented the younger brother, still holding his bow and arrow in a firing position. He raised the arrow and took aim at the bird in the tree, which was much too far away now. Credence was only six and a half and didn't have the strength to shoot an arrow that far, which was fortunate. No! Creed, you can't shoot that bird. I won't let you. Santana, who was a year older, stepped in front of his brother. If you want to shoot the bird, you have to shoot me first. He stated this emphatically, placing his hands on his brown corduroy hips, his feet set. His puffy jacket made him look much bigger than his seven-and-a-half-year-old frame actually was. Credence stood still for a moment. Eyes narrowed, bow at the ready. His brother stood directly in front of him, unwavering, unmoving, an obstacle as plain as day, as big as life, as... Twang! The string. Whoosh! The arrow. Thunk! Santana's forehead. Literally, right between the eyes. The whole world stopped. The arrow had a blunt practice tip, but it stuck for just a moment, which felt like an eternity, before it fell to the ground, leaving a small round hole in his brother's forehead. Santana reached up slowly. A slight breeze tussled his thick black hair, touched the spot where the air had struck him, and felt the small trickle of startlingly red blood. Blood! He tipped his head back and let out a scream, a death cry, a blood-curdling wail. Fleetwood frantically kicked open the side door, which banged against the wall, adding to the obvious marks of repetitive hasty exits, 
running out to see what all the fuss was about, followed closely by their sister Meatloaf. He saw his youngest brother, frozen in place still holding the bow up, eyes as big as saucers, mouth still hanging open in shock. Then he looked over at Santana, blood running from a hole in his forehead. A hole in his forehead. What the heck are you guys doing? He yelled at his brothers, taking the bow from Credence and throwing it to the ground before kneeling in front of Santana to see if his brains were going to come gushing out of the hole in his head. Santana began screaming incoherently, Bird! Arrow! Creed! Forehead! He killed me! He killed me! Fleetwood turned to ask Credence what had happened, but he was gone, a creeping, stealthy shadow of a ghost. Meatloaf, dressed in her pajamas from the night before, pointed silently in the direction her brother had gone. Chapter 2 Rock and Roll, Baby Fleetwood Mac Gonzalez, yes, that was his real name, was the oldest of four, born to an aspiring rock musician and his young wife in Dallas, Texas in the late 60s. His brothers, Santana and Credence Clearwater Revival, also his real name, were named by their dad because rock and roll. Olivia was the youngest, named by her mother after her favorite artist. Their dad often joked that if she had been a boy, he would have named her Meatloaf. Of course, that stuck, and she was called Meatloaf by everyone for as long as anyone could remember. Daddy? The word was spoken softly in a dim-lit room, a question, almost. Clearwater, what the heck are you still doing awake? His dad responded, not in a reproving way, but in his rough-and-tumble love. You should have been snoozing hours ago. He referred to his youngest son by Clearwater often. I know, but I was trying to figure out why we call you Daddy, but everyone else calls you Gonzo. Are you a spy? Do you have a secret identity? Gonzo laughed softly as he sat on the edge of the bed. No, little rock star, I don't have a secret identity. You and your brothers and sister call me Daddy because I'm your dad. Nobody else's, so it's special. Other people have called me Gonzo since I was in high school. One of my friends gave me the nickname and it stuck. Just like, he started to say as he looked over at Santana, who had just rolled onto his back, What the heck? Santana was facing away from him in a shadow until he rolled over into the light from the hallway. There he lay, with a huge ball of gauze taped to the middle of his forehead. Credo, what happened to your brother? He asked, but Credence was already fast asleep. His name was Abel Gonzalez but everyone just called him by his stage name, Gonzo. Gonzo was more than a rock star to his four children. He worked hard through the week doing whatever he could find and traveled a small circuit in the surrounding communities playing gigs on the weekend. He played at bars and small dance halls, rec centers, independent concert venues, wherever he could convince a manager to let him set up and play. He originally played for tips, but over a few years he had been able to demand a small fee. He was working and saving up to rent some studio time and record some demos, but it was a slow process. Sunday morning started the same way it always did, with Gonzo singing and clanging dishes in the kitchen as he made breakfast for his little crew. As a single father, he made it a priority to be home on Sundays, at least for breakfast. 
He would drive home after a Saturday night gig, no matter how late it was, sometimes getting home in time to start cooking just as his children were waking up. Santana was normally his early riser, making his way, usually in just his sleeping clothes with a blanket draped over his head. In fact, all of the kids had the habit of wearing their blankets for the first part of the morning. This morning was no different. Santana was at the table, with only his sleepy little face showing, and a great big ball of gauze still taped to his forehead. Hello, Peter Cotton Forehead, Gonzo said with a smile, pinking at his son from the other side of the table. Huh? Santana replied, not understanding the greeting. Well, I'd call you Peter Cottontail, but it looks like you taped the tail to your forehead instead of your bottom. Huh? Santana reached up to his forehead, momentarily forgetting about the Great Arrow incident, as it was later referred. Oh, that's where Creed killed me yesterday. Credence was shuffling down the hall and almost to the kitchen when he heard his brother explaining the horror of the previous day. He started to make a silent retreat back to his room, but Fleetwood was right behind him. The two blanket-covered boys came into the room, both excited to see their dad, but also nervous. They made two new mounds at the table. Fleetwood wanted desperately to please his dad by helping take care of his siblings while he performed on the weekends. Since their mom had left, the weight of caring for his siblings fell to him. He was only ten and very mature for his age, but still just a boy. Rough day, huh, Wood? Gonzo asked, with no anger, but surprisingly a soft chuckle. Fleetwood looked at his father sheepishly. You're not mad? Well, I'm a little upset. That could have been pretty serious. If Credo had better, or worse, aim. But I'm not mad at you. Heck, when I was ten I could barely take care of myself, and that was on a good day. With that, he put his hand on his son's head turned it up towards him and gave him a kiss on the forehead. He looked at Credence and said, We'll have a little talk later. Credence sunk down until just his eyes were showing above his folded arms beneath the teepee of his blanket. Good morning, sleepyhead, Gonzo said to the doorway behind the boys. Standing there was the tousle-headed girl of the family, Meatloaf. Nearing five, she was the quietest of the group. She could speak, but rarely did so, pointing instead and allowing her brothers, especially Credence, to speak for her. He was usually accurate, or at least close when interpreting her. Not breaking tradition, the blanket over her shoulders was dragging behind her like a train or a dragon's tail. She favored her mother the most with her straight brown hair and hazel eyes. He had met his wife in high school in Dallas, Texas, after his parents moved there. They were a perfect match, he thought, and they married during their senior year. He quit school to work and she graduated while he was on road crew in another state. When he was home, they lived fast, partying and playing local shows. Before they knew it, they had four kids and the party days were over. If it hadn't been for the gift of his childhood home on the edge of a tiny West Texas town of Monahans, they wouldn't have had a place. So they left the larger city and moved to the middle of nowhere. Gonzo had loved growing up in the Monahans and thought it would be a great place for the kids, but his wife wasn't used to the small town life and was miserable. One day, she just left. Fleawood could still remember her, standing in the doorway of the room he shared with his brothers. 
He rolled over in his sleep and glanced toward the door. She was wearing a mustard-yellow turtleneck, a red polyester crop jacket and bell-bottom jeans, with her hair loose and straight. She was crying. That was it. They never heard from her again. Except for Credence, he would periodically have conversations with her. She was currently playing at Woodstock. He spent hours looking through the photos of the festival in the record cover sleeve, picking out different women who he was sure was their mom. Chapter 3 The Legend of Palito Joe The corner house next door was a veritable fortress, with a tall, wrought-iron fence covered in layers of dead and living honeysuckle. To the casual observer, it would almost seem abandoned. Tall grass grew in the corners of the yard, the windows were shuttered, and old newspapers were piled on the porch. Legends abounded of the owner and resident, Joe or as he was known, Palito Joe, which literally means Little Stick Joe. Some said he had been captured in a war and was starved to death for government secrets. Others suggested that he only ate once a month during a full moon, or that he had been diagnosed with a tapeworm that was 12 feet long and lived in his stomach. He was an only child that never married, so he rarely had visitors. Town kids harassed him as they passed his home or on their way out to the Million Barrels, a giant concrete crater, a little further on the outskirts of town. He had lived in the same home all his life, being a childhood neighbor and a friend to their dad, even though he was much older. Now he was like an unofficial grandfather, keeping an eye on the kids when Gonzo was traveling or after school. The fence between their backyards had long been in disrepair, so they never entered through the front door but had free access to the back and came over multiple times a day. On Sundays, Gonzo always made extra food and sent the kids over with breakfast. After they had all eaten and cleaned up, he sent Fleetwood, Santana, and Meatloaf next door and had his little talk with Credence. The talk included his worn leather belt and a temporary ban on the bow and arrow. The three each carried an item as they navigated their way over. From early spring to autumn, they rarely wore shoes so they were adept at avoiding the dreaded goat-head sticker patches. A trail had been worn from their fence through his backyard, which was mostly overgrown with random grass patches and tall weeds. The kids had claimed, and with Palito Joe's guidance, refurbished his ancient childhood treehouse. The back door entered into the kitchen, which was dimly lit. The house was always a little stuffy since Joe rarely opened any windows. It had the smell of brewing coffee, Trace Flores hair oil, and Absorbine Jr. horse liniment, which Joe swore by for his aches and pains. The old man came shuffling into the kitchen, drawn by the laughs of children and the breakfast smells. He was very short and incredibly thin, with leathery skin that was a light coffee brown. He wore high-waisted khakis and a starched wide-collared black dress shirt, buttoned to the top button. His shoes were black and polished to a shine. He was dressed impeccably every day. When Santana had asked him once why he always dressed nice, even though he mostly just stayed at home, Joe responded simply and matter-of-factly. 
Why live in a castle if you're not going to dress like a prince? Santana quietly looked around the dim room they were sitting in, pausing at all the family photos on the walls and shelves full of flea market knickknacks and random bottles and antiques, to the worn but clean furniture, the polished wooden floor, the stacks of vinyls and record player, and thought, Wow, this is what a castle looks like. Joe stopped in the doorway and peered down at Santana with a critical eye. He placed his hand, palm down, on top of Santana's head, turned it right, then left while he looked him over. Hmm, he intoned. Well, he said, there is something different about you this morning, Mr. Gonzalez. Fleetwood smiled under his hand while Meatloaf pulled at the old man's pant leg. He looked down and she pointed to Santana's forehead and said quietly, if somewhat out of character, Cree killed him in the head with his boulder and arrow. That happened to me once, Joe said gravely. A standard reply from their old friend whenever one of them was injured or had big news. Looks like we need to change your, uh, bandage thing there. He went into the bathroom and brought out an old leather first aid bag full of decades' worth of miscellaneous medical items, from band-aids to gauze, to old remedies and concoctions. It was also home of the most feared of all, monkey blood. This was the cure-all application for any kind of skin wound. It was a dark red liquid called iodine, in a brown bottle with a faded old yellow label. The stuff smelled terrible and stung horribly. As soon as Santana saw it, he made a move to escape. But Joe had anticipated it and caught him by the collar. He had old man strength, as the kids call it. You sit right there, Mr. Gonzalez, while I get you taken care of. You don't want to get an infection that close to your brains, or they might stop working. He looked at Fleetwood and they both said in unison, That happened to me once. (laughs) 